Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number two of Genesis chapter 10. And we're going to begin our study by reading verses 6 and 7. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Septa, and Raama, and Septacha, and the sons of Raama, Sheba, and Dedan. And I'll stop reading there. Now, as we're going through this chapter, we've already seen in our previous study that some of the names we're reading here we are familiar with, except we've read the name elsewhere, but in a different form. Uh, What I mean is, back in verse 2 of Genesis 10, where it says the sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, well, the uh, Hebrew word for Madai, which is 4074 in the concordance, is the same word translated elsewhere as the Medes, the Medes and the Persians. And, And so we see that the Medes come from the line of Japheth. Now we're going to find, as we look at verse 6, that some of the names here we're very familiar with as we read them in another form in the Bible. For instance, in Genesis 10, verse 6, again, and the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim. Cush is 3568 in our concordance in the Hebrew, and we're more accustomed to seeing this word as it is translated as Ethiopia or Ethiopian. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 20, it says in verse 1, In the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and fought against Ashdod and took it. At the same time spake Jehovah by Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And Jehovah said, Like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder upon Egypt, and upon Ethiopia. And and that's um, the same Hebrew word that we have translated as Cush. Upon Egypt and Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners and the Ethiopians captives. Again, the word Ethiopian is the same word. Young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt, and they shall be afraid, 
and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and of Egypt, their glory. So when we read of the Ethiopians, now um, we have some background information. We know exactly where the line of descent for the people of Ethiopia came from. They are sons of Ham. Uh, they're descendants of Cush. And so the Ethiopia line can be traced back to their father, Ham. We've often wondered, or, well, first of all, we've noted how God speaks of the people of Ethiopia in a similar way as to the people of Egypt. And we saw it right here in Isaiah 20 as we read these verses. Again, at the end of verse 3, sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia. Verse 5, they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation of Egypt, their glory. Egypt and Ethiopia, they go hand in hand. And in some places, the Lord may make reference to Ethiopia and not mention Egypt or vice versa. But uh, still, Ethiopia carries the same spiritual picture as that of Egypt. And we've noted that. We've observed that truth as we've read the Bible and, and found how God uses the Ethiopians. But now we have a better explanation for why that is. And the genealogy of Genesis 10 assists us. It is helpful in this way. Because, again, in verse 6, And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim. The word, the Hebrew word that's translated Mizraim, is the same word translated as Egypt and the Egyptian. So, the Egyptian is a son of Ham as well as the Ethiopian, Cush and Mizraim are brothers, and, and therefore Ethiopia and Egypt are forever connected. They, again, go hand in hand. They spiritually can represent the same thing in the Bible. And it can be traced back to the fact that their father was Ham. And so we also understand now why... God speaks of Egypt in Psalm 105, and he does this at least three times in the Psalms. But in Psalm 105, verse 23, Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Well, Ham was the father of Mizraim, and Mizraim is Egypt. So, um, the way God views it, the, uh, since Ham had an immediate son, Egypt and Ethiopia, or Cush and Mizraim, he is the father of the land that becomes Egypt. And that's very helpful to us to have that background information. We, we can trace that line of descent all the way to the son of Noah, Ham, as they disembarked 
from the ark and began to develop civilization anew. Well, one line was Egypt and Ethiopian. And if you look on a map today, you'll find uh, the land of Egypt in Africa and Ethiopia, its neighbor. Well, that, that makes sense. The two brothers would go and dwell right next to each other, just be in close proximity to one another because they are brothers. Well, verse 7 tells us, and, and the sons of Cush, and, and so that would be the sons of Ethiopia, and then we're given a list of individuals, uh, Seba and Havla and Septa and Ra'ama, four. Now, Ethiopia, like Egypt, would identify with the world. The Bible uses Egypt as a type and figure of the world, It can be a type and figure of a church returned to bondage also, but uh, it's most often used as a figure of the world, and so also would Ethiopia. And so the four sons listed here of Cush or of Ethiopia uh, would identify four with the furthest reach, um, universality, the the sons of the world, uh, unsaved mankind. Well, let's move on to verse 8, because there's something interesting here, beginning in verse 8 of Genesis 10. And it goes on to saying, Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before Jehovah, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Jehovah. Now, I'm not sure what the name Nimrod particularly means. It wasn't that clear when I looked it up. But we know, again, that Cush is Ethiopia. And Ethiopia, as well as his brother Mizraim, Egypt, identify with the world. So, um, uh, Cush also had a son. And uh, there's no indicator here if it's a, a an immediate son or a grandson, but He's in the line of Cush, as Cush is a son of Ham. And so Nimrod also can be traced back to Ham. And then further than that, right to Noah, like all of us. But Cush, or Ethiopia, begat Nimrod. And then Nimrod, this man, began to be a mighty one in the earth. The Hebrew word translated as mighty one We've seen before. This is the same word that we found when we were going through Genesis chapter 6. And uh, we saw in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Mighty men it is a translation of the same Hebrew word. It's 1368 in the, in the Hebrew concordance. And uh, when we looked at this verse, we saw the sons of God were the line of believers, and the daughters of men would have been uh, women that were not in believing families. 
and they married. There was intermarriage. You know, the Bible um, does not care if um, people from other nations intermarry or people from other races intermarry. The Bible doesn't care if uh, a black person and a white person or any other colored person uh, marries one another. The only law of God that is in view regarding intermarriage or a mixed marriage, God has one law, and that is that a child of God is not to marry someone who's not a child of God. Again, a man can marry an American, can marry uh, a a woman from China, or um, a woman in Africa can marry a man in Canada. None of that matters. The Bible has no difficulty with any of that. Remember, Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And some spoke against it, but God, of course, had no problem with that. God actually chastened some who spoke against Moses for that cause. No, the Bible doesn't care. We know God is no respecter of persons. He's completely colorblind. All God sees is the heart of men. And 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 that's the area where there should not be intermingling or intermarriage. Whenever it occurs, it brings the wrath of God. And so it brought the wrath of God upon the world uh, leading up to the flood. It's the main reason God gives for bringing the flood. And, of course, um, it points to what occurred in the corporate church. There, there was much intermarriage as wheat and tares got all mixed up. And, and so families of God's elect began to marry individuals that could have been professed Christians, but they uh, were, were not true believers in any sense. And, and it just causes a big spiritual mess. Well, um, Nimrod, Nimrod began to be a mighty man in the earth. And what was Nimrod's heritage? What was his lineage? Well, uh, as we mentioned a little bit ago, he could trace his line back to Noah. And Noah was a child of God. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, as well as being a preacher of righteousness, Noah preached Christ. He preached the gospel. It was the faithful line of believers. And here we see that Noah's son, Ham, already uh, there was difficulties with him. We read about that in the previous chapter when he saw his father naked and did nothing about it. But now... In the line of Ham, there is Cush, the Ethiopian, and Cush begats Nimrod, and Nimrod is a mighty one, a mighty man in the earth. And that um, label, mighty man, identifies with those that should know better. They, they should be 
in the line of true believers, but they're looking out to the world, they're lusting after things of the world, or um, they're lusting after a woman of the world, and it, it tends to bring apostasy, and apostasy brings the judgment of God. It brings down the wrath of God. And, and so from verse 8, we're already given a little insight into the character of Nimrod. He's going the wrong way. And then in verse 9 of Genesis 10, it tells us, He was a mighty hunter before Jehovah, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Jehovah. Now, God is certainly emphasizing that statement because he repeated it. Nimrod um, was a mighty hunter before Jehovah. God said it two times within the same verse. Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Jehovah. And we wonder why is God telling us that Nimrod was a mighty hunter. And, and he he said it a second time so we wouldn't miss it. So we have to investigate. We have to look into it to find out what it means. Um, we, we do know that later on in the book of Genesis, there's also another man who is spoken of as a hunter. And, and he's a very good hunter also. In Genesis chapter 25, it says in verse 27, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. Now there's an awful lot of information in that statement. First of all, Esau, a cunning hunter, will look into what it means to be a hunter in, in the Bible, but Notice it says a man of the field. And in the parable of Matthew 13, the Lord Jesus defines the field as the world. Esau, a man of the world. Jacob, a plain man dwelling in tents. God's elect are likened to sojourners. We're just passing through. And, and so we have here no a permanent city, and, and therefore the people of God, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they lived in tents. And it points to the temporal nature of our dwelling, uh, again, sojourning in the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is our home. And so we see that Esau, and we know Esau or Edom, is a picture of the corporate church or of those individuals within the church that never become saved. And God says that Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Jacob was chosen before he was born. And Romans chapter 9 tells us that. That God made choice before either one was born. Before either one had done good or evil, God chose Jacob and did not choose Esau. 
And Esau was a hunter. So we, we see a similarity between Esau, a cunning hunter, and Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Jehovah. And now we have to figure out, by God's grace, what does it mean to be a hunter in the Bible? And of course, the only way to do that is to look up the word. Now, the word hunter is 6718. Um, there's also a very closely related word, 6719. Hunter in Genesis 10, Nimrod the mighty hunter, is 6718. And there's another word, too, that will come into view that uh, is a related word. I don't have the number for that right now, but it's a related word. And it, it basically is conveying the same spiritual picture. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs 6, and verse 5 says, Deliver thyself as a row." from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird, from the hand of the fowler. Verse 1 says, my son, and that's who is being spoken to, to deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter. What does the hunter want to do to the one he is hunting, or to the prey? He wants to kill it. He wants to slay it and devour it. That's what a hunter does. He shoots his gun today or or in past time. He would shoot his arrow and it would hit the deer and kill the deer. That's what a hunter does. He kills his prey. Here in this same chapter of Proverbs, it says in... Verse 26, For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Now, this word hunt is that uh, related word, um, 6679 in the concordance. Our word in Genesis 10 is 6718. This is 6679. And notice how it's being used in Proverbs 626. The adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And, um, in, in Proverbs, in, I think, in the next chapter, there will be an adulterous woman who is, uh, it, well, let's go there. In Proverbs 7, it says, in verse 7, And I beheld among the simple ones I discern among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. And he went away to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. And... So forth. She caught him and kissed him and with an impian face said unto him. And then she, she wants to bring him home. Uh, it says in verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves 
with love, for the good man is not at home, he has gone a long journey. And the good man would be a picture of God himself. Remember, mankind is married to the law, and any transgression of the law is spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication. And and so there is spiritual adultery or fornication in Gospels, as well as with just um, plain sinful behavior that that is against the law of God, against our husband, the good man, who is God himself. Mankind is married to the law. And, and so the statement, the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Notice how this man, he, he's out there and, and the woman caught him, it said in Proverbs 7 verse 13. So she caught him and kissed him. She hunted for him. And then finally in verse 21, with her much fair speech. And I remember a long time looking up the word fair speech, and it's the same word as doctrine. With her much doctrine, with flattering words, you know, telling people things they want to hear from the Bible, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare. And when we saw Proverbs 6 verse 5, deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. The uh, person trying to catch birds or hunt birds is a fowler. And, and here this young man, um, he, he was caught and he was like an ox to the slaughter. That is an ox who's going to be killed now. And as a bird to the snare and knoweth not that is for his life. And then it says in verse 26, for she has cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. That's what's in view for the adulteress when when the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. That that is it it is a seeking to kill, to slay the prey. And the prey is the one you're after, you're pursuing. Now we don't have time in this study. But the word hunter or hunted, or various forms of that, really comes up in some interesting places. And and so um, in our next study, Lord willing, we'll continue looking at some of these other passages where we, we find this word. And I think it'll give us a very good understanding of why God speaks of Nimrod, the mighty hunter, before Jehovah. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, 
eBible Fellowship's webcast audio or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.